0: This is footy time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raftopoulos. How's it going, Johnny?
1: Hey, Dan. Uh, yeah, well, another weekend of lockdown. A few more to come. Uh, yeah, sad week after week, but thank heavens for footy.
0: Yeah, there's no end in sight, really, is there? So no, hold on to footy That's <laughs> it for dear life. What caught your eye over the weekend?
1: Yeah. There's only one real thing that I could think of, to be honest. Not that there weren't other things, but the just Alistair Clarkson. I mean, he's going out in probably the only way Alistair Clarkson could go out. Just with a big bang, showing everyone that he can still out-coach other very good coaches. And um, yeah, I don't think his stock's falling at all. He, whether or not he wants to coach next year is a different story, but he's uh, he's going to be hot property.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. So I think if you look at Hawthorne's record since the bye, they've actually been one of the better teams. So it is yeah. uh, quite baffling how it all has sort of unraveled. And yeah, they actually look like they've got the, you know, a basic core, at least, of a pretty good young team. So it be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years without Clarkson there.
1: Yeah, and they've unearthed some decent prospects. I mean, Daniel is having a good run of form. Uh, and the number of players they've got to come back. Um, Jayath, Sicily, there's pretty much a new backline ready to come back. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how they go next year and beyond.
0: I guess maybe the midfield is still like a relative weakness. Like They do have a few good players in there, but they are pretty reliant on a few of those guys that they've traded in from other clubs like Amira and Mitchell and I guess to a lesser extent Wingard, but I guess he's playing more forward. But when they're not performing really well then it does drop away a bit but saying that even in some of these games towards the end of the season where they haven't had all those guys they've still performed pretty well
1: yeah for sure and yeah it's just a sign I think that maybe their list isn't quite as bad as people thought it was I mean it obviously has holes but you know you're never quite as far away as it as you think I reckon in this game Yeah, it's
0: funny, isn't it? When things look terrible, they're not actually as bad. But, uh, yeah, so plenty to hold on to there for Hawthorne supporters. And I guess this whole thing with Clarkson not being there uh, from next year on is probably starting to sink on for them a little bit now. Yes, yes. All right, let's do a quick recap of the top eight. Uh, Obviously, we're going into the last round, so there's not too much more movement that can happen. But... uh, yeah, I guess the result with the Bulldogs going down to the Hawks in Tassie over the weekend kind of threw everything up in the air, again, at least from the top four perspective. So Melbourne managed to hold on to top spot uh, by accounting for Adelaide at, at an empty MCG. Two points further back, uh, Geelong and Port, who both managed wins. But now with uh, the Bulldogs slipping uh To fourth, uh, they're actually in danger of dropping out of the top four if they can't beat Port on the weekend at Marvel. And the flip side of that is if Melbourne uh, lose and Port win, Melbourne would finish third and uh, have to go to Adelaide, I suppose, for that qualifying final. So it's interesting going into this round, Johnny, like almost every combination of top four teams playing each other is actually possible.
1: Is there a chance Port could finish on top?
0: Um, I'm not sure. I think so. Yes. Like if Melbourne, if Melbourne loses and Port wins, I think Port's got a better percentage than Geelong, don't they? So
1: yeah, that's possible. Um, just checking it now They're or oh, they're about 0.7 behind Geelong in percentage.
0: Okay. So there would have to be a bit of a shift there, but yeah, it's definitely possible. So you're right. It may be Port wouldn't necessarily finish second. Um, so Yeah. Basically, every combination is possible, as I said there. So, yeah. Wow. Good reason to try and win the games, even though, you know, there's no chance that uh, Melbourne, Geelong, and Port can drop out of that top four. And you're not necessarily getting a home ground advantage either. We'll talk about that a little bit later, probably. But yeah, it's just an interesting one, especially for teams like Geelong and Melbourne. On paper, it doesn't look like they have a whole heap to play for other than the minor premiership. But, uh, yeah, you don't quite know who you're going to get in that first week. It's It'll be more cut and dry after Friday night's game, I guess. That's when the Port game is against the Bulldogs. So we'll know a bit more then.
1: And what, just quickly, what are your thoughts on the minor premiership? Do you want us to win it or are you feeling maybe it would be better for we second or third or something like that? Or
0: It really does not bother me at all where Melbourne finishes in the top four. The whole way along, it was just, you know, make top four, and uh, I think Melbourne matches up very well against all of the top four teams. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to you know, win every time they play them, but I would feel relatively confident going in against any of these top four teams in terms of Geelong, even Port away, or the Western Bulldogs. So to me, you'd go out and try and win the game, but I'm not that concerned what happens on the weekend in terms of uh, having to get the win or just setting up a, an opponent that you might want or not want, I think Melbourne can do it against anyone. So I think they'll come out breathing fire in that first week of the finals and that's what's going to count, I suppose.
1: Yeah, well, from, for the most part, I think I was one of those people and I still am to an extent one of those people who would prefer us to not finish top and maybe just get second and um in the the probability of winning the flag from first. But as time has gone along, I think that is just... um. It's a bit of nonsense. It's just um, one of those narratives that people have come up with to make it seem like a bad omen. I mean, if you're a team that's level-headed and, you know, like those things don't – I don't think those things enter players' minds at all. I think they just no, go out so. there to do their best and win every game they play in. I agree. I think if Melbourne were top, they it probably wouldn't have any bearing on whether they would finish second or top in that yeah, first week. Yeah. Their forms so, will be the same.
0: So it'll be – they'll finish either first, second or third. I think it's most likely – it'll be first or third, really, because if they don't win, then um, – oh, know, depending on if the Bulldogs win. I think if the Bulldogs win oh, – I don't know. There's so many combinations. I yeah. don't want to go through all of them. But, yeah, if they win, they'll be top. And if they don't, they will fall to either second or third, depending on other results.
1: Yeah. I think the main thing, just quickly, the main thing for me is just obviously not getting injuries – but just not going full on, I guess, in terms of tactics and things like that. This week against Geelong, uh, I'd I'd like to keep something in reserve, but uh, obviously go out there and, and give it your best.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm just not sure it'll have the edge to it that it would if no. both teams like were absolutely desperate to win. Like it'll still be a competitive game, but you know it's not going to be the competitiveness of a final. I'm pretty sure about that.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So I guess the Bulldogs are the real story here. I was actually a little worried about them going down to Tassie uh, against the Hawks and probably should have had a sneaky bet because I think there were, what, like 6 or $7 odds to actually win that game, Hawthorne. But, uh, yeah, just the struggles since Bruce has gone down and, you know, playing the t- Hawks in Tassie is never an easy game. So I was yeah. a little worried for them going into that and, yeah, they really struggled to score.
1: Totally agree. I, I had that in the back of my head as well. I thought, well... Hawthorne have played some good games. The Brisbane game was a really nice performance down there, and uh, yeah, you just can't rule them out whenever they're, whenever they're playing at Tassie. But um, the Dogs are starting to look not not tired, but um, there are some there are some personnel issues there that are, it, it's just gonna make it that bit much harder for them. I reckon um, it's not impossible, but uh, yeah, yeah, like I think. Um, I think Tim English carrying the ruck work at the moment. The, the majority of it is he's not ready for it. I think he's definitely going to be a great ruck forward in future, but um, he was monstered by McAvoy on the weekend. So yeah, that's a that's a problem. They really need a healthy Steph Martin, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I think he is meant to be coming back this week, but you know what sort of impact is he going to have coming straight back in? But yeah, I guess what I was alluding to there was the fact that they can actually fall out of the top four here. So if Brisbane beats uh, West Coast by enough and Bulldogs lose to Port, then the percentage gap will be made up. I don't exactly know what the scoring is, but I think it's about a 1.8% turnaround, which is probably somewhere in the order of between 30 and 50 points, depending on how heavily each team scores. It seems doable. Yeah, it's definitely doable. So I think, if anything, that might be a good thing for the Bulldogs because they'll, you know, know that they have to win and they'll actually come out and hopefully put in a good performance against Port.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, Yeah.
0: So for the bottom half of the eight, things are a bit simpler. Most likely outcome is the Lions and the Swans both win against West Coast and the Suns. So uh, that would see them maintain their position unless uh, the Lions can make up that percentage gap on the Bulldogs we were talking about. And then in the lower reaches of the eight, both the Giants and... Uh, Essendon had good wins over the weekend against Richmond and the Suns, respectively, which means now those spots are those their teams to lose, basically. So, uh, yeah, both GWS and Essendon, all they have to do is win their games this weekend, and they will be in. Uh, so those games are against... Who are they against? <laughs> Essendon uh, has Collingwood, I think, yeah. And who's got uh, GWS is against Carlton. That's right. So if either of those teams lose, it does open the door for West Coast or Frio to get in. If one of those teams can win. So West Coast, as I was saying, plays Brisbane and Frio is playing St. Kilda. So, uh, yeah, I guess we kind of got that right last week talking about GWS, you know, been in some great form recently and, uh, Essendon looks like they'll probably slot in there as well.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, and a, yeah, a, a critical result in the weekend for West Coast, which we'll get into a bit later on. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was a it was a very, very, uh, very impactful round in terms of the finals. And it, there'll be a few more um, big games this weekend, but I think that really shaped it.
0: Yeah, that absolutely. Round. So West Coast has been in the eight almost the whole year, and now they've finally fallen out after some indifferent form, in particular over the last couple of months.
1: Yeah, well, you could sort of see it coming, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I guess there have been some sides that have been good enough finally to take their spot, so it's been a long time coming, but yep. GWS and SNS have got there. All right, so one of the things we wanted to do today was just do a bit of a power ranking of the current top eight and uh, I guess their likely premiership chances, but it's more than that. It's uh, trying to associate some sort of... Uh, I don't even know what you'd call it.
1: A metaphor or something? Or?
0: It's, it's like a metaphor or descriptor or just something that you would associate with this team and sort of explaining why this is the case. So, <laughs> First thing uh, that comes to your
1: head sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So it's a bit of fun. It's not meant to be too serious. So, uh, yeah, let's see how we go with it, eh? Yes. So we'll start up the top. So I guess this is the number one seed going into finals. Who have you got for us, Johnny? And you're your number one seed and... What descriptor have you chosen?
1: Uh, look, number one seed, I've got, uh, look, I've kept things relatively how they are now, but uh, look, obviously it could change. I'll go in with Melbourne first. And the, the descriptor that I've got for Melbourne is sort of like a vice, like a, as like a you know, it holds metal and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And you can tighten it and it can suffocate. And uh, yeah, it. And like sort of like yeah, sheet metal sort of cutting device where you know cutting off all the high balls into the fifth defensive fifty things like that. Um Yeah, just a, a choking device. I shouldn't have said that actually, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, just just a real tightener.
0: Okay, interesting. My number one was also Melbourne, so I had a similar thinking for my descriptor, which is the Boa Constrictor. So just squeezing the life out of the opposition. And it brings to mind, uh, you know, when the opposition's got the ball and they look up down the ground and it just seems like they have absolutely no one to kick to. Melbourne's just done such a good job of covering all the exits and more often than not, they're getting the turnover in those situations. So Some interesting stats that David King brought up on uh, First Crack, I think it was, over the last six weeks, Melbourne's actually number one in the AFL for all these sort of defensive pressure ratings. So uh, points conceded from inside 50 entries against the opposition, defending back half transition, midfield interceptions, and pressure applied. So he was describing them as the best team without the ball by a long way. So hopefully that'll stand Melbourne in good
1: stead. There was the some pr- pretty impressive indicators with the stats he was talking about, actually, yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely, and if Melbourne does manage to win the last game of the weekend, they will have their first minor premiership in 57 years, so that was 1964, obviously the last premiership year also.
1: Yeah, and look, that does give you a bit of incentive, actually, when you think about it, because uh, it's always nice to break long droughts of anything, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there is some incentive there, and I'm sure the players would want to finish on top if they could. All right, number two. Who's your number two C, Johnny?
1: So, look, this one's a real out-of-the-box one. So you had to use my imagination a lot on this one. It's actually a person and a sportsman. Uh, I've gone with Floyd Mayweather. (laughs) So if you watch a bit of boxing, um, Floyd Mayweather is a very uh, calculated fighter master of defense um, he's he's kind of always watching his opponent right down to whatever body movement they make, if, if his shoulder moves he'll sort of do, he's really, he's literally like a computer when it comes to fighting and I feel like Geelong's a lot like that too, They're, they've they got this controlled game style, not a lot of attacking but can speed it up and can attack when they want to and very methodical, just like a computer and yeah so defensive mastermind uh, Floyd is my my Geelong metaphor. <laughs> nice one.
0: Nice one. I had a similar one for Geelong, also slotting into the number two position. I just think of them as the Geelong robots, sort of that artificial intelligence thing going on. They're all so well in sync, so well drilled, and they are very methodical. So I guess the games probably aren't always the most entertaining to watch just because they are so methodical and kind of only do what they have to do don't give the opposition sort of a chance unless you know they have to which very rarely they do so yeah it's just that uh very controlled way of playing i suppose and uh you can almost see the thinking as they're actually going through it and uh yeah it's worked very well for them mm. all right who's your number three i think we might start diverging a little bit here
1: yeah, so I have bulldogs, and <laughs> this is a silly one, but uh, I was watching. I've been, I did watch Cool Runnings recently, and my metaphor for the bulldogs is the Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got a team like if you've seen Cool Runnings, no spoilers, uh, but this is a team where. There's three guys in the bobsled team who can run 100 metres in under 10 seconds. They're track sprinters. Uh, good runners in the Bulldogs. Um, but I'll try not to spoil it too much. Actually, just close your ears if you, if you don't want any spoils of this film. But uh, is the sled about to come apart like in the film? Uh, there's a few injuries, a few key personnel missing that might not help. Right on the edge here, but uh, mm, but there's a lot of potential too. There's a lot of great potential that, that a lot of other teams can't offer, really, in terms of midfield running ability.
0: Yeah, I really like that one. Oh, you, you've uh, you've outdone me. I think you've put a bit more thought into this than me, but that's okay. <laughs> I just
1: I just yeah, let my mind run wild.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had the Bulldogs in fourth position. So to me, uh, they're the junkyard dogs. So this is kind of alluding to. Uh, the fact that when they get it inside 50, they're not actually getting that many marks inside 50, but they're very good at the ground ball and mm. just make it, getting the either 450 tackles or just putting on enough pressure to actually get it you know snap away and goal that way. So they've been a relatively high scoring team this year, but it hasn't been on the back of uh, necessarily you know a lot of clean play. It's been sort of broken play, but they're kind of the masters of that. And I think it's similar to what they do Sort of around the contest as well At their best They're kind of just swarming around the contest Flicking the ball around And uh, running in waves So Junkyard dogs
1: Yeah, I like it I like it
0: All right, so we'll jump to my number three Seeing as uh, I didn't have the Bulldogs there Uh, My number three Very unexpectedly For anyone who's been listening to this podcast Because I've been trashing this team Pretty much the whole year (laughs) Is uh, Port Adelaide Port Adelaide are the sports car They have plenty of flash, probably more than any team. They have a lot of players, probably Rosie and Gray among them, who can just do sort of the ridiculous and make it look easy. But much like any car, and a high-powered car at that, they are still prone to sort of breaking down along the way. So I'm not 100% convinced by Port, but uh, they do have great capacity to score, and they do have the majority of their players back now. So... I give them just the edge over the Bulldogs with their health at the moment, and they have won their last five games uh, after getting beaten up by Melbourne in round 17 at Adelaide Oval.
1: Yeah, yep, yep, fair enough. Um, I'll have, I have I Port Adelaide in fourth, but that was definitely, I was definitely along those same lines. I thought... Uh, My one for Port is a gemstone, like a Sapphire or Amethyst or whatever. Uh, Very similar, though. Very pretty to look at. Very gorgeous. Um, Yeah, I totally agree. Possibly the most most talented list in that top four. Um, Lots of skill. Yeah, just game-changing players there. Uh, Maybe not so much. That gemstone is maybe not so much renowned for its strength, though. Uh, not quite like, you know, iron ore or, you know, hematite or something like that. They it just make steel. Um, so, yeah, it's a very pretty, very pretty gemstone. Um, I guess a- one
0: knock on them is, you know, they don't defend that well in midfield transition. So um, that's probably one thing with Port. Like, they're not necessarily a team that's going to completely take your game away from you. So no. they can sort of get you by playing really well, but... They're not necessarily the best team at limiting what you're going to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're a team that sort of, I guess, out talents the opposition more so than, um, yeah, more so than stopping them.
0: No, probably a proven way to win a premiership, but we'll see what happens in the finals, eh?
1: I think, just a just bolt from the blue, um, a little bit like West Coast in the mid 2000s. Just, uh, didn't have a whole lot of tactical nous, but um, just played on ability.
0: Yeah, I think it's very rare that you can get by just on ability, but yeah, who knows what's going to happen this year. As we've sort of talked about, I think it's an extremely open race to the cup and uh, yeah, anything could happen really. Absolutely. All right, go back to you for your number five, Johnny.
1: All right, number five, Brisbane. This is actually my least favourite of the ones that I came up with, but, um, <laughs> look, it's another movie reference, Lion King. Um, I, I found Brisbane the hardest one to come up with one for because, uh, I don't know, there's just a, there's a lot to that team, I find. Um, you, you could make a case that they're in the discussion with Port, maybe not quite at Port's level in terms of the pure ability, but they're not far off. Um So, yeah, I guess I've come up with Lion King because I think, uh, well, I think Eric Hipwood going down was like Mufasa falling off the cliff. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) the question is now, uh, Simba's gone through the jungle, he's met uh, Timon and Pumbaa, is he going to make it back to the rest of the the herd in time? (laughs) Is he going to? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They've Uh, definitely
0: started to pick things up a bit, haven't
1: they? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so my fourth through to sixth here were all really tight. I could have almost done any order. So that was the Bulldogs in fourth for me. So I, too, had Brisbane in fifth. And, again, similar to you, uh, I went with the wounded line in reference to Hitwood and uh, just the fact that they have seemed to have rebounded from that and, you know, they managed to actually find some of their mojo again. So 22 and 18 goals in the last couple of weeks against the Pies, and Frio, respectively, with Danaher, McCarthy, Cameron, and McStay all getting multiple goals there. So perhaps the forward line still is potent enough, but, uh, yeah, still need to prove it when it counts most, I suppose.
1: I think if Danaher is is healthy and at least giving him a contest, there's definitely a chance. Um, But, yeah, it's been a hard transition from people.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, number six. Who we got?
1: Number six. Yes. Look, another popular culture reference. But I've gone with uh, the Roadrunner. Uh, impossible to catch when running. Spreads, gets uncontested possessions. Um, you know, the Coyote could never touch the Roadrunner. And when Sydney's up and running, no one can touch. No one can touch their running style.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I had Sydney in seventh, and I'm calling them the Challenger. I guess they weren't really wasn't really a lot expected of Sydney especially early on during the year but every big game they played they sort of seem to have taken on this role of the challenger and more often than not they've actually stood up to that and they have made a huge leap this year so even yeah no matter what happens going forward in this finals I think they've set themselves up really well for the next sort of three or four years Uh, but they do just seem to have fallen off the pace a little bit in the last two weeks maybe that's just them you know, managing a few of their fl- their players or maybe it's a little bit more than that. But, uh, yeah, they slipped down to seventh for me. Yeah, fair enough. So for sixth, for me, it was actually GWS and for me, they're the Bulls. So this is just a reference to their powerful midfield, really. Starts with mummy and the ruck, but uh, just the strength around that midfield and also just scoring from stoppage, which seems to have been becoming an increasingly big part of the game in the second half of the season. They've got, you know, really strong mids in there like Hopper and Taranto and uh, a bit of class on the outside there with Kelly as well. uh, And there's plenty of others. So that's a real strong area for them. And, uh, yeah, they just seem to be hardened after, you know, five years of sort of being kind of an almost team, they all seem to be clicking and uh, understanding their role. And I just think they're a real danger team coming into this finals. I think they've, over the last sort of month or two, they've beaten quite a few of the top eight teams. So they beat Melbourne. Um, Who else did they beat a couple of weeks ago? Another top four team. Uh, Geelong. Geelong. Yeah, exactly. So like... (sighs) Yeah, I think they're just they're, – they're definitely coming good at the right time of year.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, I've got them in seventh, obviously. And, yeah, so <laughs> my metaphor for them – I've actually – I've got two, but I'm going to go with the less offensive one. Uh, I've got orange juice. <laughs> um, the more offensive one was Fanta, the soft drink. <laughs> but um, we'll go with orange juice. Uh Plenty of sugar, but uh, watch out for that sugar crash. Um, They can be a little bit up and down. They can play some of the best football that anyone can play, but they can also be prone to a little bit of a lapse. As you said, though, they've got – this is what's going to hold them in good stead – is that contested ball midfield that they've got there. Very strong body – yeah, I and think it's a great style for
0: finals, I think, as well. And they've shown that, that they can perform well in finals using this style.
1: Absolutely. It is proven. And um to have that core there, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to play them first week, to be honest. Uh but yeah, yeah, I think that as long as they have some guys healthy, I think if they can keep Hogan out there, he at least takes a defender. It it would definitely free up guys like Kimmel And um yeah, they might just find more avenues to go. I kind of hope
0: that the ladder sort of stays how it is at the moment with Sydney 6th and GWS in 7th. At least that way, one of those teams will get knocked out in the first week. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Good point. Uh, okay, so there's only one team left. What did you have for Essendon?
1: Yep, yep. As you, you, That's a good guess. Uh, I did have Essendon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's pretty obvious I think Essendon's going to get there. Uh, I've got a rubber band for Essendon, so um, they can slingshot some good footy. They can they go through the corridor as well as any team I reckon. Uh, they've got Parish, Merritt, Stringer just in career best form. Uh, but that rubber band can snap too, Dan. Um, they do bleed goals going the other way sometimes, and it. I wonder if. I would like to see more games when one or two of those players are well held. So I think we've only seen really one game from Parrish in the last maybe 10 weeks where he's had under 20 possessions. And uh it does have a significant impact on their ability to, to get inside fifties and score Um Stringer's playing probably the best eight week period of his life. And, um, yeah, I just wonder what they'll be like if those guys are held a bit. Is are there going to be others that will, um, you know, carry the load? Yeah, yeah, I
0: think they are a team that seems to rely a lot on generating score from stoppage, or at least you know, getting the dominance in that area to set up their game. So, if you can break even there, I think they would struggle, or at least limit how much they can score out of stoppage. So for me, Essendon is maximum damage and that's reference to how much they can actually hurt you when they've got the ball, both of their silky skills and just more or less walking it out of stoppage, hitting their forwards, lace out. But as you're alluding to, they do still give up plenty of score, particularly on turnover. They don't have the strongest defense, and uh, I guess they have been involved in quite a few shootouts this year. I wouldn't expect a final to turn into a shootout, but uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they can actually serve up if as we expect, they do actually make it through. Yeah, and, and if they're be, playing, sorry, it, it could be the Joe Danaher Cup if uh, Brisbane stay in fifth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'd love to see that. Um, but yeah, that that's the next question, I guess. Is um, you know, what's Essendon going to be like in finals, having to guard some of those forwards like Joe Danaher, Buddy Franklin, um, you know, Himmelbergs, and yeah, can they keep him under wraps?
0: Absolutely. So I think we agreed with most things there, but uh, yeah, I'm just it just doesn't feel like there's as big a gap between the top four and the rest as maybe there usually is. I don't know. What are you no, reckon?
1: No, not at all. Uh, going through those teams just now, especially Brisbane and uh, and Sydney, and yeah, maybe uh, GWS, those, maybe <laughs> GWS too, but definitely <laughs> Brisbane and Sydney. Yeah, I think I I wouldn't be surprised if they at least got to the grand final. Or a prelim, a prelim at very least.
0: Especially with it, gonna the fact that it's gonna be we expect the whole final series to be kind of compromised with you know lack of home ground advantage and everything else. Although, I guess the final decision hasn't really been made on that. Um, yeah, I guess the talk going around is that you're not gonna be able to play any finals in Melbourne, you won't even be able to choose to play in front of an empty stadium. So yeah, I don't know. It, it just seems kind of strange to me. Like, say you are, you know, Melbourne, Geelong or the Bulldogs and the AFL's like forcing you to give up your home ground advantage mm. to get, say, if you, if they're going to say, okay, you can choose to go play wherever you want in Australia, provided that, you know, you can actually get a crowd there. Yeah. What are the options? You can go down to Tassie, get between 10 and 15K. Who's gonna play? Who's gonna to choose to play a home game at Tassie with the crazy weather down there? It's not gonna happen. You can go up to Brisbane, where you're probably gonna get yeah, ten or fifteen k to a non-Brisbane uh, match, uh, or you could go across to Adelaide. You probably won't even be able to get into WA. So like, you're not exactly flash, yeah. flush for options. Like, yeah, I don't it's know. It's Totally it, up in the air. It just totally up it in j- air. just seems strange that the if the AFL does do this, it's you're gonna like essentially force. Melbourne teams to play at neutral grounds for the sake of like 10 or 15,000 people.
1: Yeah. Look, I've heard a few sides on this, on this subject. Um, and a lot of the, the journos and that they, they say that, yeah, they would like to see crowds. And I understand that, but there's a big difference between the type of crowd, you know, it's not all equal. I mean, 15,000 in a, say 16,000 seat stadium. Is that really worth just, uprooting a club to go and play their first week first qualifying final there uh, look if it was for 50 to 75% capacity then you might have a good case but yeah uh, I, I don't know I, I've I've tried not to um, I've actually tried not to think about it too much because it's really depressing but um, yeah I, I don't know I don't know Dan that's a, that's a <laughs> it's a really tough one it would be I feel like yeah it'd be if tough. you're going to
0: do this if you're going to do it properly if you're going to say okay we really want crowds. That's what we're gonna prioritize. Find a way to get everyone over to WA for four or five weeks, whatever it is. Just play yeah. all the games there. You'll get over twenty K to every game. Probably many more than that for a lot of games. So if you're gonna say, okay, we want crowds, go and do it properly.
1: Yeah. I hate to say it, that's probably that's probably the best solution. Yeah.
0: I it just doesn't seem like that's in the works. Like no one's really been talking about that much. And like, I don't know, can Optus Stadium even stand up to that many games? Maybe That's a good
1: question. That's a really <laughs> good question. Um, I, I think it's literally a day-to-day proposition at the moment. That they, they they have officially scrapped the pre-finals buy, haven't they? Mm, yeah, yeah. So they're doing that, keeping everything sort of in the pocket. Oh, look, we might be able to in two weeks have more options with venues, and it, it is literally just a day-by-day thing at the moment. It's, yeah. I'd hate to. Be, I would hate to be one of those guys um, doing all the brain work on this. Yeah. All
0: right, final word on this for me. Personally, if it was up to me, I would actually give the club the choice. You can either play in front of no one or you can play somewhere there's a crowd and you can choose the ground, provided you're actually allowed to play there. I feel like it is pretty unfair if you're taking that out of their hands, especially for the sake of 10,000.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I think, um, yeah, Look, it's, you work all season to earn a top four spot. Yeah, uh, and top two, get your home, you know, home final. Um, yeah, I, I understand the aesthetics of it. We like fans at finals, but uh, I don't know. Look, <laughs> we've it, never seen anything like this before.
0: Everyone's sort of saying like, oh, you can't possibly play finals without a crowd, but you can play finals without a crowd. Just like you can play football without a crowd. No one says a you have to have a crowd there. It, it's what people want, but Look, and we it's definitely not ideal want to fans. not have a crowd. It's not like it's impossible to do it without it. It's just you don't want it without it. People are sort of confusing those two things. I I think
1: that that you just hit the nail there. Um, We all want fans at these finals, but, yeah, we can't make a decision based on, you know, emotion and, oh, that'd be terrible. I mean, we've all had to go through some kind of heartache, you know. I mean, we'll have to go through heartache that we're not going to be able to be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I don't know, yeah, it's a... No idea. <laughs> no idea. Yeah,
0: yeah. So just really to put the last full stop on that. Um, yeah, more spread of COVID in Melbourne. Another two weeks of lockdown minimum. Seems like it'll be probably longer. So yeah, really no prospect of having any uh, finals games with crowds for either any of the finals or the grand final. So yeah, we'll see what the AFL decides to do within the next week or so. But it uh, seems like everything's up in the air for mm. now. All right, we've got to match of the round. So I didn't preview it earlier, but it was the derby between Frio and West Coast. So interesting to have a derby so late in the season, but it turned out to be an extremely important game with both teams needing to win to keep their finals chances alive. So West Coast were in the eight and uh, needed to win the game, and Frio were just outside of the eight, uh, also needing to win to keep those finals chances alive, as I said and uh it's an absolutely packed house for this game, which is great to see. It's a Freo home game, so mostly Freo supporters. But uh yeah, they look pretty good, the stadium with around fifty three thousand there. I think it's what is it, capacity about sixty? Uh
1: yeah, I think I think it is, isn't it? Possibly even more, maybe seventy or I'm pretty sure it's sixty. Let's um let's confirm this. Anyway,
0: West Coast had won the past 11 of these Derby games. So it was, yeah, time for Freo to draw a line in the sand, I suppose.
1: 60,000, Dan, you're right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's jump into the first quarter. So in the very first play of the game, it was Freo who managed to turn it over in the midfield. And uh, going the other way, it was actually Cripps who found it about 55 metres out who expertly spotted up Kennedy, 48 on the boundary. And opting for the left foot snap on the non-preferred, he easily managed to get it through the goals for the first of the game. Yeah. think Kennedy's actually got better as a goal kick, like, the last few years. He never
1: seems to miss these days. (laughs) I think he has. I think he has. Um, Yeah, I think it's just one of those guys that's sort of perfected his technique over time and...
0: He was always a pretty good kick, but he used to have like the stutter step, didn't he? And that seems to be gone.
1: The stutter step got out of control at one point. So (laughs) yeah, he sort of stamped that out. And yeah, I I actually think he has gotten better over time. So Freo
0: did manage to hit back quickly though, as Mundy received a short kick that was called play on and he was about 45 out and he managed to spin around quickly and get the ball online with a. Long kick that hit the back fence. So, vintage goal for Monday in his record breaking game. I think he was breaking Pavlich's game's record of 353, somewhere around that.
1: I think that's right. Yeah.
0: So, fantastic servant for Fremantle. Absolutely. And it looks like he's probably going to go around next year as well. He's playing that well.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Form definitely warrants it.
0: So, the game really started to open up for Frio here. And for once this year, they're actually managing to take the majority of their chances. I heard that they'd actually uh, should have won an extra four games if they had kicked at competition average through the season. So it just shows how bad their kicking woes have been. Mm. But not the case here. Three goals in a row to Taberna, Sarong, and Tracy. Had them out to a three-goal lead before another clear stoppage win gave Schultz a chance lining up from 40 who managed to drain that one as well. And when Tabernard slotted his third goal for the quarter, they'd kicked eight before quarter time, their best first quarter for the whole year.
1: Flying start. that I think that was their best quarter for the year. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a real glimpse into what we could see for the future, I reckon, for Freo.
0: So I guess West Coast pressure wasn't great during this period, but Freo just making every post a winner especially scoring out of stoppage.
1: Absolutely. And they were hitting a lot of targets early. Um, West Coast usually pride themselves on punishing turnovers, but there weren't really any turnovers in that first quarter. Freo just kept hitting the targets. Absolutely. So Freo seemed
0: really happy to take these uh, sort of short spot-up kicks going inside 50. And early in the second, it was actually uh, Taberna marking a long kick out from Brass at about 60 before he went for one of these little short spot-up kicks to Chera, who marked just outside 50. And I wasn't quite sure how long of a kick Chera was, but it turns out he's a pretty long kick. (laughs) So he got it home easily from outside 50. And at that point, they had a six-goal lead.
1: Yep, yep. They were in the driver's seat for sure, yeah.
0: And when Freo took it from one end to the other... It was Schultz slotting a set shot goal to give Freo a game-high forty-point lead. So, yeah, it was looking like it was almost over, even though it was, you know, more than two and a half quarters left here. Huge lead.
1: Yeah, the West Coast were really shocked. They just they couldn't touch the ball. It was, yeah, it was it was just scintillating stuff, really, from Freo.
0: So West Coast finally did steady towards the end of this second quarter and they got one back, courtesy of Old King Cole spotting up Darling, 45 out. And as usual, the big forwards for the coasters are very accurate and he did manage to get that one home as well. So at halftime, it was a very accurate Fremantle, 10-2 to 4-7 of West Coast. And uh, with just one scoring shot the difference, one more for Freo, they had a 31-point lead. So I guess it just shows what quality they were getting from those clearances and spotting up kicks inside 50. A lot of them were uh, on not too big of an angle and getting a lot of sort of free flying play.
1: And amazing that they were doing that without Brayshaw as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's been one of their biggest yeah. drivers throughout the whole year. So going into the third, um, I'll just cover up on this point first. So as I sort of mentioned in some of the description there, Freo had been absolutely dominant scoring from stoppage. So they actually had five goals in the first half from stoppage. So it does seem like scoring from stoppage is fast turning into the easiest way to score just because I guess a lot of these stoppage goals are just straight out of the center when you've got the 6-6-6, but also just, you know, getting it deep in to the forward line. if it falls your way, you can snap one. And, uh, yeah, I guess for quite a while, it was all about scoring on turnover, but mm. you almost need to have that second bow now of being able to get a few goals from stoppage as well.
1: Yeah, start of the year was definitely all about scoring from turnover and just pressure intercept in your 50 or, you know, close to your 50, whatever. Um, but yeah, like, I definitely find the stoppages inside 50 scoring has gone through the roof, and I think maybe teams just aren't set up as well defensively as they were in early in the season maybe it's um the tactics that were being used earlier in the season maybe it's it's more they've sort of maybe gone into a not reverted back to something else but um they're just backing their instincts a bit more maybe um yeah i'm not
0: sure like for a yeah. long time like most of the season really scoring as like defending an inside 50 stoppage was very easy for most teams, or yeah, you weren't really conceding many goals at all. And like no. in the last month, teams just seem to be leaking a lot of goals from that source for whatever reason. I'm not entirely sure whether they're just choosing not to get as many numbers back or quite what's going on there.
1: Yeah, and, and look, just from the examples I've seen, usually just um, guys sort of like veering off the pack a bit and getting open a lot more. I'm, I'm not sure if, if it's bad defending and bad marking, but. Yeah, you'll see like Bontempelli or something just um, alone at the back of the contest and just snapping one. And yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. But once again, it could be that they're not as switched on defensively with their tactics, but it could be anything. It could be fatigue. It could be whatever.
0: does seem a little strange. But anyway, we need more goals in the game, so yeah, it's always keep, good. It, keep it going. <laughs> All right, third quarter. So really the game flipped in the third quarter. So... West Coast managed to keep things closed down for almost the entire first half of this third quarter, keeping Frio scoreless, but really they weren't able to score at all themselves either until finally a long kick in from Darling found Ryan out the back who managed to snap the goal, reducing the margin to 24 points. So really quite an attritional start to this third quarter.
1: Um, I really liked that matchup uh, with Luke Ryan and Liam Ryan. It was a bit of a mismatch. Um. Because Luke Ryan, I think, has got him with height, and he's a bit of an interceptor, I think. Um, but it was it was a very interesting move. But uh, yeah, Ryan ended up kicking three goals for the game. Sorry, Liam Ryan kicked three goals for the game. But uh, I kind of thought that they broke even there. It was a it was a bit of a boom or bust move, and I, th- I thought it was a yeah, a good coaching move from Longmuir. Yeah,
0: it was an interesting one. So West Coast were continued to apply the pressure. And when Vardy read the kick out of defense, he managed to hand off to Witherden, who's a very long kick, and so he proved here with a very long goal from outside 50. So West Coast were starting to mount a bit of a comeback here. And at this point, Frio had only had two scoring shots after quarter time. Thankfully for them, both goals. But yeah, West Coast had really dried up Frio's forays forward, at least the ones that were causing damage. Hmm. And when Barras took a hanger on the wing, his long kick in was marked by Darling, who with his vice-like grips clamped the ball and uh, suddenly the margin was back to just 11 points. So, yeah, quite a dominant quarter for West Coast in the end there. Their pressure went up and they were getting on top.
1: Yeah, and then regular, the, regu- the usual suspects, Chewy, Yo, um, yeah, well, Sheed was a bit quiet, but um yeah, like those guys were getting their hands on it a bit more.
0: Um Yeah. Did Trio go into their shells here, you reckon, or it was just West Coast weren't letting them express themselves as much as they could in the first half?
1: Hmm, yeah. Um that's a really good question. I think to an extent they might have for just um gone gone a bit cautious. Maybe when those first few goals were kicked in the in the comeback, but um I think I think West equally, I think West Coast were getting some good service. Nick Nat was getting a few good taps. Uh, I actually thought Darcy gave him a good run, but um, that was definitely a good patch for Nick Nat in that quarter, yeah.
0: All right, so in the first minute of the last quarter, there was a big contest in the middle. Oh, sorry, this is actually the last minute of the third quarter, I mean. Big contest in the middle there from Taberna. So he's competing against two, but managed to get the ball to ground. And eventually it came out to Collier who sprinted towards 50 before steadying for a much-needed goal and got the lead back out to 17 points right on the th- three-quarter time bell.
1: He's good for a big-time goal, isn't he, Collier? Uh, he knows where the goals are, that's yeah, for sure. <laughs> absolutely.
0: <laughs> so it was the main man up forward for West Coast who seemed to be keeping the minute. Kennedy competing well in the air after a long kick in from Darling. And it was actually Ryan who managed to find it on the ground. And after weaving in and out, he managed to get it through on the left. So West Coast were well in the hunt with the margin down to just 12 points. And when Kennedy roved off the hands of Darling, he put through another one on the left to reduce the margin to just six points. So yeah, really putting a scare through the Dockers here. Absolutely. And there was quite an amazing bit of play up the other end. The ball looked like it probably went out almost two times as it straddled the line, but Frio didn't quite let it go out, even though replays showed that it definitely was out. Yeah. The uh, umpire did not blow his whistle, so play on. And somehow the ball flicked out to Sarong, who was in the right forward pocket, and he was taken to ground by his West Coast opponent, but the tackle didn't fully stick. And in a flash, Sarong had bounced back up to his feet and managed to jag the checkside side kick onto the boot And it went straight through the middle. And uh, it was a beautiful call by Hutto Hutto on the coverage. So wrong, so right. (laughs) And uh, that was it.
1: Heard it a few times. It's a great call. Hutto's notorious for those great one-liners. Look, I'm not usually one of those people that uh, I find in, in the past. I've found that there's some commentators that say ridiculous things like, Oh, you can't pay out of bounds there or you could like if a mark of the year was taken on the goal line and he might not have controlled it fully before going over there, oh no no you can no, you can't pay a behind there. You've got to pay the mark, so it can be mark of the year. I find that talk just ridiculous, but in this case <laughs> they didn't call the out of bounds. I actually think this should be goal of the year. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was that good. It was that good. I like the big-time moment goal for goals of the year. Yeah, yeah, um, the impactful ones. Yeah, so that, that was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
0: And even though there was still 12 minutes left on the clock, I guess that kind of just showed that Freo had absorbed West Coast best punch and uh, thrown it back at them. So they did kick a few points after that to get it out to a 15-point margin, but basically they had seen off the challenge and they got... The win that they wanted, finally breaking through in the Derby after 12 attempts.
1: Massive win. Massive win. Massive loss for West Coast as well.
0: Yep, so West Coast were knocked out of the 8, as we alluded to earlier. So both teams now sit on 10 wins outside of the 8, with West Coast with a 6% better percentage than Fremantle. But as we alluded to, if both the Giants and Essendon win their games, which they'll be favoured to do, uh, both these teams will miss out even if they can win their game. So, uh, And West Coast has quite a difficult opponent with the Lions at the Gabba. So, yes, most likely outcome is for West Coast to miss the finals here. Yeah.
1: It's looking that way. Um, I just want to touch on Caleb Song again. Um, yeah, fantastic game. 31 touches, two goals. Uh, I really like the way he plays. I think he, he gets it little bit overlooked this year I think with Brayshaw being the the real ascending jet of that midfield and uh there's been a lot of talk about Chera and whether he'll stay or will go but um I think Sarong really gives them something that they he gives them another dimension that they desperately need he's just a he's a real hard nut um a little bit like uh like Hopper at GWS or mm-hmm. yep. or Tom Green maybe at GWS. Um, he's and, not he, as tall though, is he? No, those guys. No, he's. I think he's. Uh, well, he'd be about. I don't even think he'd be much more than one eighty centimeters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he does give you that sort of never say die kind of have a crack as if every contest is his last that he'll ever play. Um, I don't think he's quite. Uh, like he's a very good runner. But I don't think he's probably not quite the Adam Trelaw or Sam Walsh kind of run and carry kind of. Guy, but he covers the ground very well, very well, spreads really well. So
0: if someone was going to give you a five year contract to coach one of these teams to try and win a premiership in that time period from next year on, would you be taking the Eagles or the Dockers?
1: Five years. Yeah. Oh, the Dockers, without a doubt, without a doubt. I think there's definitely. A good nucleus there with a nice midfield mix. Uh, You've got the experience there. Monday going around again, I think, will help fast-track some of these guys as well. I don't think he's list-clogging or anything like that. Um, I really like Darcy. I thought he. I didn't think he shaded Nick Nat by any stretch, but I think the next time they play each other, he might. <laughs> he really impressed me just with his... Um, just the... The way he sort of muscled up to Nick Nat, which is kind of a, um, uh, probably the best way to play him, actually. Uh, yeah, I, I thought he, yeah, he just really impressed me. Um, so you got, you know, he'll be a good prospect for years to come. Then you got those, uh, those other tall forwards, guys like, um, you got your, you obviously got your Taverners um, and, um, Oh damn! Who's the other one I'm thinking of? Um,
0: Guy came across from GWS. He's always injured.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, you you got lob. Um, but you've also got uh, oh you, Tracy. Tracy, that's the one. I think he also has a bit of potential. And um, yeah, then you've got some good you know, some other ones like Liam Henry. Uh, so what sort
0: of uh, what sort of player would you be looking to add in the offseason if you were Freo then?
1: Oh, that's a really really good question. That's a really good question. I think that could. Probably they could maybe use another another smallish defender, like sort of a lockdown one. Mm-hmm. Um, they might they might think that some of their youngsters can play that role. I haven't really quite seen enough of them to see if they could play that sort of lockdown on a yeah on a small forward type or, or you know run rebounding sort of type.
0: They're probably going to lose Chera though, aren't they? More than likely. I think they're
1: probably going to lose him, yeah. Yeah. So, that's a, it's a real tough one because it also depends on how much longer Fife has left. Um, He's almost been like the forgotten man this year in a lot of ways. Yeah, which is a good thing, I guess. This is, the, this is the future.
0: I guess, yeah, one thing people have been talking about is, do you actually play Fife in the midfield when he comes back and is healthy for a longer stretch? Or do you just play Fife forward and... Uh, some of these other guys can take over that
1: midfield mantle. Yeah, that yeah, definitely, definitely a tough one. I think Pfeiffer's also to me anyway seems like one of those guys that um, probably would, and I'm just guessing, but he might feel like he's a bit wasted if he was a permanent forward. Um, yeah, specifically because his he's not great. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with him. Actually, how they'll transition. From Fife, but uh, yeah, that's a really good question though on how you would strengthen this team. I think um, like what what would what would be the first thing you would address if you had to bolster this list?
0: Well, I was just thinking like you know if you really wanted to do an aggressive move, and they would never do this. This is kind of thing you would do mm. if it was like fantasy football. Yeah. What what would you get if you traded out Fife right now? What could you get for him? Could you get two first round picks?
1: Four. <laughs> Two. I don't think he'd get two. I think maybe first and a second. First and a second. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be surely like
0: one of the contenders would, you know, find a way to get him if he was on the open market. I, like I said, this would never actually happen. Like he's been so loyal to them, they would never do that to him. But maybe that is actually what would serve them best now with this young nuclear
1: suppliers. It is funny when you think about those things though, because. you know, it does take the hard decisions sometimes to win a flag, which
0: they have never done. Exactly. Unfortunately, and exactly. there's plenty of teams who haven't won one in the AFL era. Melbourne is included in that, so yep. it's only getting harder to win premierships.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Any f- any final thoughts on this game before we wrap it up, or just about Frio in general? Yeah,
1: just yeah. Very impressed Frio. Very impressed with Longmew. I thought, as I said, made that good. I thought it was a reasonable. Uh decision to put Luke Ryan on Liam Ryan. I thought his decision to have uh I think is it Banfield tagging mm-hmm. Tim Kelly? He just yeah, he absolutely nullified him. He got injured, obviously Tim Kelly, but uh I thought he was doing a fantastic job. These were really good coaching moves, I thought. So he uh deserves the credit for this win as much as anyone.
0: Absolutely. So another really interesting game to go through. Thanks for jumping on the line, Johnny. Fun as always.
1: Yes, absolutely. And thanks
0: to all the listeners out there. Hopefully you're as excited about the finals as we are and uh, hopefully your team is there. But even if they're not, I'm sure uh, you guys will enjoy watching some high-stakes footy and uh, counting down to that grand final. Bye for now.